Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Simon the Pharisee. He was understandably upset. No doubt you would be upset too if what happened to him happened to you. He was trying to hold a proper gathering of the right sort of people. He didn't want this party-crashing woman bursting in and causing a ruckus at his dinner. Especially that woman. We would probably feel much the same way. In fact, let's try it out and see. Imagine that Jesus is here. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus is here. That's not a very good example. Okay, imagine Jesus is physically here. No, that's not something we have to imagine either because Jesus is physically here each and every time we celebrate the divine service. Okay, I've got it now. Let's imagine that Jesus is here visibly as well as physically and spiritually. And in addition to being joined together and forgiven in sharing His body and His blood... He's standing before us right now. Let's say that he's come to deliver the sermon this morning instead of me. We've all come eager to hear him. But then, she enters the picture. She didn't come in like the rest of us being handed a, a bulletin by the ushers and sitting down in a pew. She slipped in a little bit late. And just to look at her, you can tell that she is not part of the normal church-going crowd at all. Her makeup is heavy and rather lewd. She wears a dress that fits so tight that it actually reveals more than it conceals. Some of you have seen her before. You know where she hangs out. And it sure isn't here. And even those of you who have never seen her before can make a pretty educated guess about what sort of woman this is. And you wouldn't be too far wrong. But somehow she's heard that Jesus is going to be here this morning and that His words are meant for her. So that's why she's come. It's taken a great deal of courage for her to do so. But she's terrified at what might actually happen to her here. Will she be stopped at the door? Will she be laughed at, perhaps, or mocked? Publicly scorned by all of the morally correct people who occupy the pews on Sunday and then look down their noses at her the rest of the week? It wouldn't really surprise her because it happens all the time. But still, she does what she has to do. She heads up the center aisle timidly at first, looking both ways, but then suddenly breaking out into a run as though she fears that someone will tackle her to stop her from coming any further forward. She throws herself down at Jesus' feet right here in front of us all. She begins to weep uncontrollably. Her tears bathe Jesus' feet. She dries them with her hair. Incredibly, Jesus lets her go on doing this. He even seems to enjoy it. He looks down at her, but not down his nose, but rather with compassion and complete understanding. What do you out there in the congregation make of all this? 
Honestly now, wouldn't you be totally horrified? Or at least horribly embarrassed? Surely you would expect somebody to put a stop to this. Why don't the ushers do something? Doesn't Jesus know who she is? And some of you might decide that this matter, this incident, has to be taken up at the next meeting of the elders or the church council. You would already be composing your shocked and appalled emails in your heads. But Jesus knows what you're thinking, and true to form, he tells you a story, something that you could probably relate to and understand. Two people had their homes mortgaged to the same bank. One was a month behind on the payments and the other a whole year behind. The bank was threatening to foreclose on them both. But then in a wildly unexpected turn of events, the bank simply cancels the debt of both of them. So tell me, says Jesus, which person got the better deal in all of this? Which one had the greater occasion and reason for gratitude? The obvious answer, of course, is the one who had a whole year behind on their payments to make up. Jesus tells you that's absolutely right. And this woman cannot do enough to thank me because her sins, although they were many, have been forgiven. In fact, she puts you to shame, you who downplay the depth and the magnitude of your sins or try to explain them away or try to compare the severity of your sins to the sins of others so that you don't seem quite so bad. Because such outrageous displays of affection and gratitude for having your death sentence removed far from being out of place, is actually something that ought to be commonplace. If there's something that we can begin to learn and to understand from having this parable and Jesus' lesson to Simon updated a bit more so it's connected to our own experience, is that you have to know how incredibly much you've been forgiven before you can love Jesus as you ought. It's a matter of being a Christian on Jesus' terms and not on our terms. According to Jesus, the first thing that you have to do, as this woman did, is to take the risk of acknowledging the greatness, in fact, really acknowledging the rotten treacherousness of your sin. So Jesus challenges Simon. He also challenges you and me and anyone else who might consider themselves as part of the in-group instead of the outs. Jesus is having you take the challenge of loving Him for what He alone can do. But you know, it's only a seeming risk. It's really not just the safe route. It's the only route. It's admitting that it is not your goodness. It is not your support for the work of the church. It is not your feeding the hungry or your giving to the relief of the poor or anything else that might lump you into this category of having respectable good deeds. It's nothing of the sort that's going to get you one hair's breadth closer to the kingdom of God. Only the forgiveness of sins does that. And of course, that presumes that you have some sins to forgive and what's more that you know about it. And so we begin our service each Sunday as we ought to begin every day. In fact, like you ought to begin every conscious thought you have, really. 
You start with the honest confession that there is something radically wrong with you. Yes, even you. And one of the things that just might be so radically wrong with you is your not-so-pretty inclination to look down on others whom you think are less morally correct than you are. I know, this is tough stuff to hear. And it sounds totally strange when we live in a world that teaches us that we ought to feel good about ourselves. They'll say, oh, well, we're different, and we believe different things, but I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay, right? What's all this talk about objective, universal morality? Why bother anyone with words like sin and guilt? That's a real downer, isn't it? And it's maybe even a psychiatric disorder. Who wants to admit that there's something terribly wrong with him or with her? That's the way the world thinks, isn't it? But Jesus knows better, and he teaches us otherwise. Being okay is just that. It's okay. Jesus has something far better in mind for you. Better than being just okay, you can know that you are deeply loved, that you are daily cared for, that you are once and for all died for people. And so you're considered better than okay. And you can know just how highly honored and esteemed you are by God. Not for the sake of what you've done, but for the sake of what Christ did when He carried that cross to the place of the skull. How much more honored and esteemed and loved can you possibly be than have God die for you? And it all begins anew. Your restoration and your realization and your understanding this. When you take the risk of acknowledging your sin and humbly pleading for mercy. But that's just the beginning. That is not where it ends. And so it's interesting to speculate about what might have happened next with Simon, this Pharisee who was so upset by this woman's outrageous display of of affection and appreciation toward Jesus. Could it be that Jesus' message, his love for sinners, got through to Simon that day? It's not altogether far-fetched to suppose that it did. After all, many of the people we read about in the New Testament are nameless. But in this case, we specifically know this Pharisee's name. It's entirely possible, maybe even probable, that he later became a member of the new Christian community and told fellow believers of this encounter and experience he had with Jesus that changed his life. Such a change was not impossible for Simon, no more than it was and is for us when we are touched by Christ. And as we are touched by His love, we realize that the risk we take involves not just admitting that we're in need of the mercy of God. It also involves daring to ask that we, and what we as redeemed and rescued and renewed sinners, should be doing to further the work of the kingdom of Christ, things that we're not already doing. What should be changed in the way we go about living within our families? the way we go about our work or our schooling, and the way we otherwise conduct all of our affairs. Christ's love and Christ's work in you and for you are very real, even though I've asked you to use your imagination quite a bit today. But seeing with our mind's eye how the reality of His gifts might guide us, take us in new directions, and that's a gift of God too. 
As long as our vision is shaped by God's Word, there's nothing wrong with imagining how our relationship with God and our relationships with one another might be made better too. So then, what if Jesus' love for sinners got through that day? Even to Simon, though his initial angry at the parting, crashing, sinful woman was rather harsh. Think of Simon and that woman perhaps meeting the very next day on the streets of their town. If Jesus' love got through to Simon, did he try to avoid her and cross over to the far side of the street like he might have done in the past? Or did he stop and speak with her, showing concern? Perhaps even have her over for supper at his home again, this time with an invitation, this time without a distaste for her presence. And what about her? Would she drop her eyes in continued shame, worried about what others thought of her, knowing what her reputation was? Would she hold her head high as a forgiven child of God, a worker with Simon and with Jesus within the household and kingdom of God, her sordid past now and forever behind her, even as she continued to daily need repentance, as do we all? It's proper to ask such questions because Jesus doesn't just leave us sitting here in church. He sends us out into the world as forgiven sinners. Sinners who somehow keep bumping into other sinners. All of them redeemed. Some of them still needing to know about that. And Jesus' love leads us to forgive as we have been forgiven. To deal with one another as God deals with us. Such a change is not impossible. Not for Simon... Not for us. And when it happens, outrageous displays of love and appreciation to Jesus are perfectly proper. And affection for one another is much more common and far more genuine. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.